Well, my family and I have been in Phoenix for almost three years now. It's kind of crazy to think about that, but um, one of the things we love about Phoenix over the course of our time here is the hiking and the mountains. I grew up in Texas. My wife grew up in Texas. It's pretty flat there, and to be honest, if you go to a mountain, you have to fly there. And so we didn't do a lot of that uh, growing up. And so what we love about Phoenix is you just hop over to a mountain. There's different kind of mountains. There's sandy mountains. There's more rocky mountains. And they're all throughout the city. And you can find one, just go hop on it and hike it. And lest you think I'm an experienced hiker, I'm not. Uh, I'm an amateur, so I just grab some sneakers and some water, if I remember. And I go up and I try not to fall down. Right? That's my version of hiking. And, and, but I love it. And recently, some friends of mine invited me to a more intense hike in Arizona. And so we, we agreed to do this. And, and we started to realize pretty quickly, this is another level. Right? Uh, this is hiking 2.0 with these people and what we're about to do. It's like an 8 to 10 mile hike down into this um, river and waterfall and all these beautiful things. And, and then we got to come back out and we got to camp and so you got to take a pack. And, and I don't know if you've run into some of these people in Phoenix, but uh, they're like REI frequent shoppers. I don't know how else to say it. There's a lot of those in Phoenix that really know they're, they're hiking. And so as I began to tell people and run into them and said, hey, yeah, we're going to do Havasupai Falls, and, and we're really excited about this, and uh, they would ask me questions, questions like this. Um, how much does your pack weigh? And to be honest, I would have no idea, no context for that. And so I would just look at their facial expression and answer, and based on like if I was hot or cold, I would change my answer. And so if they would say, like, how much does your pack weigh? I'd say, 20 pounds? And they're like, and I'm like, 40 pounds? And because I just, I just don't know. And they would ask me other questions like, uh, do you have a bladder? And I would think, well, that's kind of a personal question. I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable with you asking that. And, and they would ask uh, all sorts of weird names of shoes, like do you have oboes or Merrells? And, and I would just get really confused. And after all these questions over the course of a few weeks, I started to get intimidated. I started to get intimidated about this hike. Like maybe this is out of our league because there's a lot of terminology we don't know. Uh, we're going to a place we've never been and I'm not that experienced with hiking to begin with. So maybe we can't do this. Maybe we shouldn't do this. It seems a little risky, seems a little uncomfortable. And I started to think about that this week and I thought for many of us, that's the Bible, right? Uh, that's specifically the Old Testament, that when we think about the Old Testament, we think about a lot of terminology we don't know, we think a lot of places that we've never been, and we think, I don't really have much experience to begin with, with this thing. I mean, you think about the Old Testament, specifically the first portion of the Old Testament, are, are often the crisp pages of our Bible, the ones that have never been turned before, right? They don't have any notes on the margin, we don't hear a lot of people quote uh, the Old Testament or early on in the Old Testament. And so for a lot of us, the Bible is like that. It feels a little risky. It feels a little uncomfortable. And maybe if we look in it, uh, we'll not understand some things. And so maybe some of us, we do a yearly Bible reading plan and we get to Leviticus at least, and then we quit, right? Because it feels a little uncomfortable. Like, we're not sure if we can, can do this. Well, today we're going to start a new series on understanding the Old Testament. 
What does it look like to, to read the Old Testament, to actually flip through the pages, to unpack some of the terminology, to go to some of these places that were real places and, and adapt that to our context today and learn about who God is and apply his word to our lives. And so that's our goal as we start this series. Today, we're going to look at the Pentateuch. We'll talk more about what that is in a moment. Next week, we're going to look at historical narrative in the Old Testament. The final week, we're going to look at kings in the Old Testament. And I know as I just laid out that three-week series, some of you are excited. Like, Tim, it's about time we get into the nitty-gritty of the Old Testament. But some of you just yawned, right? It's okay. You can be honest. It's church. Some of you just yawned, and you're thinking, maybe I'm, I'm new to church. I'm new to the Bible, Tim. Like, did I come on the wrong week? I mean, is this some kind of lecture series? We're taking a break from real church and doing a lecture series on the Old Testament and uh, just going to nerd out a little bit? Is that the goal? Well, no, and here's what I want you to, to see, is that if you look at the Old Testament, it makes up the first 39 books of your Bible. That's three quarters of your whole Bible, right? It's the largest chunk in your, in your Bible, and so the reality is, as we, as we look at the Old Testament, the goal isn't to nerd out. The goal isn't just to gain some knowledge. The goal is to learn about God. Because we believe the Bible, all 66 books, is the revelation of God, who he is and what he has done. And if we're bypassing three quarters of that, how are we going to know about God? How are we going to apply God's word to our lives? And so we're going to look at some terminology that may be unfamiliar to you, that may be uncomfortable to you. We're going to unpack it. We're going to go to some context that may be far off and seem like a fairy tale in a distant land. But we're going to step into that together. And the goal is to learn about God and to apply his truth to our lives. You guys ready for that? Okay. All right. Well, if you said no, we were going to do it anyway. So... <laughs> Here's today, understanding the Pentateuch. Uh, the name gives it away a little bit. Pentateuch, uh, that word penta means five. And so we're talking about when, the, when we speak of the Pentateuch, maybe you've heard that word at some point in your life. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Sometimes people call it the Torah. Uh, that would mean literally the law or a set of instructions. Maybe you have some Jewish friends and they call it that. The Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible. Some people, because the word Torah means law, some people call these first five books the books of law or the books of Moses. We believe Moses wrote primarily most of the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament. So it has different names, but the big idea is this, if you could sum it up. The Pentateuch is God's law woven into the story of God's people. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. What is the Pentateuch? Your friends ask you what that is, like the Bible's really hard to understand. What is that? You would say the Pentateuch is God's law, but it's woven into the story of God's people, and that's the, the Israelites. But before we dive into a specific portion of that law, that's what we're going to do today, I, I want to give you a big picture of what's taking place in these first five books. If you look at the screen, you see the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see just a summation of what each one of those things is about, that Genesis is really the introduction to the whole Bible and to the Pentateuch. That we see creation, and we see God lay out a plan to gather a people. That's the Israelites. He starts that process through Abraham. But then that, that plan continues, and it goes to Exodus, and we have redemption. And so God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery for 400 years. 
And so God comes along and through Moses, he goes and he rescues his people out of slavery, buys them out. That's why it's called redemption. And that's the the primary story of the Exodus. And then we get to the book of Leviticus. And again, that's where most of you quit reading the Old Testament, right? Because it's all about holiness and sacrifices and priests and, and, and setting aside, that's holiness, setting aside a people for God's possession, And then we continue to the book of Numbers, and that primarily gives us the story of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness for 40 years and gives us that account. And then we come to Deuteronomy, which is what we're going to be in this morning, and that's really a review of the law. So the law is originally given in Exodus 20, and there's a lot more laws and a lot more commandments that are given. But then we come to Deuteronomy, and it's really a review of that law. In fact, most scholars believe that the the book of Deuteronomy is basically a sermon series given by Moses, that these are documented accounts of him preaching to the people. And so that's what we step into, Deuteronomy 10. Tara read it just a bit ago, but our first point is going to be that as we look at the law, as we look at this specific portion and learn about the whole of the Pentateuch, our first point is that the law reveals the path to follow. The law reveals the path to follow. We see that in verses 12 through 13 of chapter 10. Look at those verses with me. Grab a Bible uh, near you. If you don't have one, look on the screen. I want you to see it for yourself. Uh, here's the setting that we step into. This is toward the end of Moses' life. The Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're finally nearing the promised land. We see that right in the few verses before. They're getting close, and if you read the whole of Deuteronomy, you get to the end. Moses dies. He doesn't get to enter the promised land, but if you keep reading, the people of Israel, they, they, they get to enter the promised land, and that's the hope that they have, that God's delivering them to have a home as God's people. And so that's the book of Deuteronomy, but as we come to chapter 10 specifically, what's just happened is God has given Moses these new tablets, these new tablets that have the Ten Commandments on them. And some of you may be wondering, well, like, what happened to the first tablets? Well, Moses got angry and threw them on the ground and smashed them because the people of God were rebelling over and over, and so Moses got angry, smashed them, and so they got to get new tablets, so Moses gets new tablets from God that give the same commandments. Nothing has changed, but that's why it's called the review. Does that make sense? Deuteronomy, that's the book of Deuteronomy. So that's just happened in chapter 10. Then we come to verse 12. Look at the verse with me. It says this. It says, and now. When you see and now, you want to see something like therefore. This is a hinge point in the passage, a hinge point to some extent in the book of Deuteronomy. They have these new tablets. They're recentering around God's word and God's law as they near the promised land. And, and now, and then we get this big turning point, it says, what does the Lord require of you? So what's the whole point of this? Like, why the law? Why the promised land? What's what's the Lord require of you? What's the end game here? And and Moses begins to tell us, and essentially we see four things. We see fear, walk, love, and serve. We see fear and walk. Later we see to keep the commandments and the statutes. That's to walk those things out. And so, so fear, walk, love, and serve. First, let's just start with fear. What is fear? Well, fear biblically is a reverential awe. That it's recognizing God in all of his majesty, but it's not just recognizing God and giving assent to who he is, it's responding accordingly to who God is and all that he is. That's the fear of God. And as we see that in scripture, we see it multiple times, that when people see God 
as he really is, and they fear him as he really is, they do one of two things. They usually fall on their face, prostrate before God, or they at least fall on their, their knees. Because there's a reverential awe when you see the person of God and who he really is. And, and so part of what's required of the Israelites, part of the point of the law and the Pentateuch is that we would, would fear God, see him as he really is. This week I heard about uh, something that I, I'd never heard about. Maybe you guys are more up to speed on technology than I am, probably. But these enchroma glasses. Have you guys heard of these? Enchroma glasses? And so Google it. Don't do it now. But later, you can Google enchroma glasses, and what you're going to see is countless numbers of viral videos of people putting on these newly designed glasses that some guy in California invented, and the, they put on these glasses, and they're colorblind, but these glasses allow them to see colors for the very first time. And so as you watch some of these videos, honestly, it's kind of emotional, because you see these people, some kids, who, who don't know what colors look like, and they start to see the colors in the iPad, of course, the iPad, right? And then you have elderly people who've never seen colors in their whole lives, and they're sitting there, and usually they would put like a, a colorful balloons around them, or they'd put them in front of a colorful garden, and their family would be around, and they'd say, Joe, put on the glasses. And Joe's sitting in the chair, and he's just sitting there, and he doesn't know what's about to happen. He puts on the glasses, and he begins to see color as it actually is for the first time. Google it. Right? It's amazing to watch. And it's amazing to watch because of their responses. That young or old, almost all the responses that I would watch, again, there's tons of these videos, almost all the responses would be, they couldn't talk for a second. It left them speechless, that they were seeing all these colors and all these beautiful things and, and majesty of these things that they'd never seen before, and they couldn't talk for a second, and some of them would start bawling and crying because they're like, is that purple? I, I didn't know that was purple, and, they, and it's a, this amazing response, and, and you see in all of them, there's this consistent thread of they're, they're amazed, but they're also devastated, Right? You see, the law of God is kind of like that, that it shows us a picture of who God really is in all his holiness and all his goodness and all his power and all his glory and all his majesty. And when we put on lenses of his word, when we actually read it, when we actually look at his word and put on those lenses for the first time, we see God as he actually is. And we start to see the colors and the accents and we start to see the, the all-encompassing God and, and who he really is. And to be honest with you, what it should do to us is what it did to those people who are putting on those glasses. It should give us a pause. It should cause us sometimes to be driven to tears. It should cause us to be amazed and devastated as we see God as he actually is and we fear him. We have a reverential awe. And listen, it doesn't just stop there. Right? We don't just say, well, that's, that was a great moment, God, or in worship. You see God who, as he really is, or you read God's word and you see him as he really is, and you walk away unchanged. That doesn't happen, right? That doesn't even make sense. And so the reality is that the fear of God is the posture that leads us to the path. You see that? 
That's why he starts with, what's the whole point of the law? What's the whole point of nearing the promised land? It's to see God as he really is, to fear him. That's your posture before God. And then that leads to the path. And so the next point he gets to is is to walk. That's the path. He says specifically to walk. Later he says to keep his commandments and statutes. This is the path that God has laid out for us in light of who he is. And I know for a lot of us, whenever we see something like commandments, which you see it in this passage, we've seen it uh, in the last four weeks as we went through the fourth commandment. Some of us, when we see words like commandments or statues, we immediately get a twitch in our neck. Right? We just we don't like that. And some of you even now, like, Tim, isn't this legalism? Isn't it commands, the statutes of God, God's law? Isn't that just legalism? I mean, I'm saved by grace. I mean, I follow Jesus. I mean, that's, that's honestly why I don't really bother with the Old Testament because it, it just seems kind of like a bunch of things to do. And so I, I just follow Jesus. Well, you need to know, if you ever say that, that if you look at Jesus, Jesus actually follows the Old Testament. Right, so it's impossible to say, well, I follow Jesus, but I don't really like the Old Testament because Jesus followed the Old Testament. We see it in places like John 14 where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Listen, Jesus isn't anti-obedience. Jesus isn't anti-Old Testament. Neither should we be. Jesus quoted the Old Testament from what I could tell 49 different times. 49 different phrases Jesus gives in his life from the Old Testament. That's why we called this series The Bible Jesus Read. This is Jesus' Bible. He didn't have Paul's epistles. He didn't have the Gospels yet. He's living them. When, when he would think about God and meditate on God and get a way to do that with God, he's looking at the books of the law. He's looking at the Pentateuch. And so Jesus is an anti-Old Testament. It's the Bible he actually read. It's the Bible he quoted. And he doesn't just quote it. He doesn't just recite it religiously. No, he applies it in significant moments. Moments like when he's tempted by Satan. What Jesus does when he's tempted by Satan, he's just, he just quotes scripture, right? If you've ever read that, he just quotes the Old Testament. You see it in places like the Sermon on the Mount where he fleshes out the law in the Old Testament over and over and over. Matthew 5 through 7, one of the most famous sermons of Jesus that we've ever known. What's he doing? He's quoting the Old Testament. He's rounding it out. He's fulfilling it and showing how he does that. He does it when someone comes up to Jesus and asks him, how do you get eternal life, Jesus? He quotes the Old Testament. And so it's not legalism against Jesus, right? It's not a boxing match. Old Testament versus New Testament. This is the full counsel of God's word. And he's laying out a path that ultimately, honestly, leads us to Jesus. They're not two separate things. And so Jesus applies the law to his life. We need to apply the law to our lives. And so we have to ask, well, what is the law? Right? Well, first, a lot of us probably know because we've seen the movies, Charlton Heston, Christian Bale, hopefully not. But we've seen the movies, right, about the Exodus, and we've seen the movies about Moses. And so we kind of know there's some tablets, and he goes up on a mountain, and it's pretty scary, and he comes down with some things that the Israelites are supposed to do. That's the Ten Commandments, right? And so even if you're new to church, you've heard things like, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall honor your father and mother. You should remember the Sabbath. Hopefully you know that one. 
because we just did it for four weeks. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so we know those 10 commandments, the ones we're not familiar with is the 613. Because that's how many in total, as we look at scripture and we look at the Pentateuch, that there were about 613 commandments overall that God began to lay out for his people. And I think, again, most of us look at that and say, well, Tim, geez, that's, that's pretty rigid of God. I mean, who can follow 10, much less 613 commandments? Well, see, again, we, we have to go to some places we've never been before, right? This is a different context, right? The people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they didn't have the full counsel of God. They didn't have the 66 books, 40 plus authors over 1,500 years. They didn't have the person and work of Jesus yet. They had a lot of miracles. They had a lot of God parting the Red Sea and all these amazing things that we haven't seen. So they had some stuff too. Let's, let's not feel too sorry for them, right? But they didn't have the full counsel of God. These are God's first people. Can you just picture that? This is the first time, starting in Genesis, through Abraham, that God begins to gather a people for himself. And then as you get into the first five books of the Old Testament, God is beginning to write his word through them. They don't have it to look at. They don't have a framework for how to live. We talked about this over the last four weeks. These guys were slaves. Their, their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves for 400 years. This is something they've never done before. They don't have a framework of who God is. They don't have a framework of how to live that out. All they have, listen, all they have is, is stories. That when you read the Old Testament, specifically there's those first five books, a lot of times what you see is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does it say that? Because that's what they were living off of. They were living off the truth passed down generation to generation before him. They didn't have this. And so why 613 commands? Because listen, they needed all of that so that they knew what it meant to fear God, so they knew about the character of God, so they had a framework of how to live as God's people. You see, here's one thing I just wanna, I wanna break down for you during this series is that there is, grace in God's law. Okay? There's grace in God's law. That even if you look at the pattern, the, the sequence of the books of the Old Testament, can we throw that slide back up there real quick? This sequence is really, really important. Right? And the reason why we get these little descriptions, that's, that's really, really important. The sequence is important because what starts out is not law, right? What starts out is God gathering a people to himself. And then even after that, the large chunk of the book of Exodus is the people of God are in slavery and God comes along to rescue them. And I don't know if you know this, they hadn't done anything, anything at that point to deserve it. How would they even know what to do to deserve God? They didn't have his law yet. And yet God begins to gather a group of people to himself in love and grace. And then in his love and grace, he sends Moses to go rescue those people by grace. Does this sound familiar? It should because it's what you and I have experienced as well. That God began to draw you, that God began to gather you, not because of anything you did, 
And he did the same thing for them. This sequence is really important. Once he rescues them, once he sets them free, once he establishes relationships, then he establishes law. Then he says, this is how you should live. And so some of us get all, t- all tied up, all jacked up with the Old Testament because we're like, well, New Testament's by grace through faith. Old Testament seems like God's angry. Seems like you earn God's favor. Seems like there's all these conditions. And listen, we miss the whole sequence. Relationship is formed, then law is given. I hope that's beautiful to you. I hope that makes you want to go home and read the Old Testament, right? To see these aren't uh, disconnected things, Old Testament, New Testament. They're They're the same. They're the story, the path God is laying out. Does it lead to Jesus? Does it change a little bit? Yeah, it absolutely does. Jesus changes everything. But it's always by grace, and we even see it here. Here's a little bit about what I mean by there's grace in God's law. Is the law shows us the pain of sin. The law shows us who God is, how to live, but it also shows us the, the pain of sin. We see that in places like Romans 3.20, Romans 7.7, 7, where Paul talks about the law, and primarily he talks about the law as a mirror, that it reveals sin. It reveals the pain of sin and the dangers of it. And I was thinking about that. This week, on Friday night, we celebrated all our volunteers in our church. And so we got together and we had a big celebration. We heard story after story of what God's doing in and through our church, which is you guys, which is the volunteers that make PBC happen. And it was an amazing, amazing night. If you're new to Phoenix Bible Church, we'd love for you to jump in on this. Uh, You can go to the back, sign up to serve at the Connect Desk, get a part of this team, uh, be a part of this this church by, by serving. But it was amazing to hear these stories, but it was also amazing to have Greek food. Right? We had this amazing spread of Greek food and all these things that I can't pronounce, but they, they looked good. And, and I really like olives, and so I'm getting different little foods, and I see the olives, and so I grab a few of those, put those on my plate, and I'm kind of going around talking to people, just munching on different things, popping things in my mouth, and, and I take a couple olives, because I really like olives. They looked nice and good, and I pop these olives in my mouth. And I'm just eating these other things, filling some different textures in my mouth, eating the olives, and all of a sudden I hear a huge crack. And it hurts because there's a seed in the olives. And I probably should have known that, but I didn't, so I'm just munching away on the olives, and it hurts. And honestly, for a minute there, I I thought I cracked my tooth. But I didn't. But, But it hurt. You see, here's what God is doing with the law. He's bringing the seeds to the surface. He's bringing the things that will harm you and hurt you and bring you pain. He's bringing those things to the surface so you don't have to be shocked by it, right? Because honestly, just like I saw the olive and it looked really nice and it looked really good, I think it's healthy, right? It looks awesome all the way around. And I started popping in my mouth. I'm just enjoying life. And then I bite down and it's hard. I'm like, I didn't know there was a seed in there. And a lot of us, that's how sin is. I mean, we're just walking along in life and we're like, man, sin sin doesn't look that bad. It looks pretty good. And we just start, we pop a few in our mouth and we're just enjoying our time. But eventually you bite down on the seed and it hurts. And that momentary pleasure doesn't last, but that lifetime of pain does. And so what God is doing through the law, it's his grace to you. He's raising the seed to the service. He's saying, listen, don't go this way. There is a better way. That's 
That's God's grace. Some of you need to hear that this morning because the reality is in your life, you're walking along a different path. And you're popping those sins in your mouth and you're just like, man, this seems great and this lust seems great. I mean, it looks, it looks good. It looks like it might taste good. It looks beautiful. And so you're just enjoying life and going and blowing. And all of a sudden you bite down on that seed of lust and you think, well, that, that hurts. That brings pain, not just to you, but to, to everyone around you. That you're going along in life and you're just popping these olives in your mouth and you're just like, this, this greed, I mean, it looks good. I mean, I want these things. They, they make me feel good when I buy them. I mean, why shouldn't I, I be happy, God? Like, you don't want me to be happy. And we walk along and we take all these things in greed and then eventually we're empty and those wells that seem fooled are, are dry cisterns. They don't have any water. And we're left empty and we bite down on the seed of greed and it, and it hurts and that momentary pleasure is gone but the pain's still there and so what God is doing in the law is he's raising those seeds to the surface he's saying you don't have to go there some of you need to hear that this morning some of you are biting the same seed month after month year after year and there's pain and God's saying, you, you don't have to go to that pain. There, there's a better way. We see that even in the law. There's grace even in the law. God's saving you from pain. He wants to do that for the Israelites. He wants to do that for you. And he doesn't just save you from pain, but he gives you a better path. That's what we see these next two points out of what God wants for us in the law is to love and to serve. We see that in the second part of verse 12, to love him, to serve him, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. Jesus talks about this. He's asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And what Jesus does is really amazing. He combines two of them, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. He says to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so how do we summarize the law? It's to love God and to serve people. It's to love God, it's to love our neighbor. And Jesus does that for us. That's the better path. That don't do these things. These things will bring you pain, but, but loving people and obeying the law of God, that will bring you a lifetime of joy. Because that's how God designed you. This is the better path that you should walk in. And God's laying that out for us. And, and this is why you see things like in the New Testament with the Pharisees. If you don't know about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were people who spent their whole life following the law of God, studying the law of God. It was the most important thing to them. And that's why you read the Gospels and you see Jesus rebuke them at every turn. As Jesus just calls them out unashamedly all the time. Why? Because they knew the law. They even knew how to obey it, but they didn't see that it led to love, that it led to service, that the whole point of it is love God, love neighbor. If you don't get that, you don't get the law. That's why Jesus gave the Pharisees such a hard time. Some of you read it and you're like, Jesus, come on. Give these guys a break. They didn't need a break. They needed to learn love and service because that's the path that the law of God leads to. That's what we see in Exodus 20. That's what we see in the whole Pentateuch. Our second point overall, the path that we see through the law in the, in the Pentateuch, God lays that out for us. It starts with who he is and fearing him. The second point is the law doesn't just show us the path. It reveals who made the path and who puts us on it. And so look at verses 14 through 15. 
Verse 14, we see basically that everything is God's. It says the heavens. It's not just talking about the clouds. It's not just talking about some cosmic place elsewhere. When it says the heavens, literally in that, in that, um, in that term, it's talking about the totality of everything. And if you didn't understand about the heavens of the heavens, he goes on to say the earth and all that is in it. So everything that is in the earth, everything that is in the universe belongs to God. Behold, Moses says, it all belongs to God. And we see that as we continue in Deuteronomy. He creates the path. But not only that, he puts us on it. Verse 15, the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. The Lord set his heart and love. So God owns everything. God has everything. Everything belongs to him. And yet he sets his heart, his affections on a group of people. And he begins to gather them to himself. And so the law reveals a path, but it also reveals the one who created the path and who sets us on it. Do you see that? God starts this whole process. God initiates this whole process. It's not just some things he gives you to do and says, hey, good luck with that. No, he created the path and he sets his heart on you to put you on it. Now, what he's talking about there is the Israelites, right? He's talking about specifically the Israelites, but we see something similar in Ephesians chapter one, where it says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You see, here's what you need to know, is that the path that's laid out for us, that God created, that he puts us on, that it doesn't stop in the Pentateuch. It doesn't stop in the Old Testament. The story doesn't end there. That path does continue, and it continues with Jesus. That God begins to set his heart on more people, and he does that through Jesus, and he adopts us, and he brings us into his family. That he owns everything, but he sets his heart on you, and he sets his heart on me. And so if you believe in Jesus this morning, here's what that means, especially as we look at the law that Jesus fulfills the path on your behalf. Not just because that rhymes. That's truth. Jesus fulfills the path on your behalf. And not only that, he empowers you to walk in it. He puts you on it. That's what Ephesians 1 is talking about. And so the path continues. And Jesus, as we look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, Jesus, as we put our trust in him, He equips us, he empowers us to walk in this path and to know God who created it. The path continues. And so listen, this morning, I don't care how much you've read the Bible. I don't care how much you've been in church. You don't have to be intimidated as you look at the Bible. You don't have to be intimidated as you look at the Old Testament or the New, for that matter. Uh, You can read it and you can be equipped and empowered to not just read it and study it, but to learn it by God's grace through his power uh, and by looking at the example of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that's indwelled within you. And you can walk in this path. It can change your life. You can begin to have an awe of God as you read God's word instead of an angst about who God might be and what he's calling me to do. That's what happens when we read the Bible. That's what should happen because of Jesus, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can be equipped and empowered to look at God with all and then to live your life differently. I thought about this the other night when my, my four-year-old son, we were putting them to bed and we are teaching my kids about uh, God and who he is. And we like to teach them big words because I'm a pastor. And so we teach them words like omnipotent. 
right? And we're like, Ashman, that means my four-year-old son, omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. And we teach him words like omnipresent. We're like, God, that means, that means God's everywhere at all times. And, and his response to that was so awesome of awe and amazement. He said, so does that mean God can walk through walls? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, buddy. That, yeah, sure. Yeah, it means that. And, and I said, but it also means like God is with Nana and Nani and God is with Mimi and Papa right now just as much he is with us in this, this room. That God is with your friend Beckett, God's with you at school, God's with mommy and daddy, that God is everywhere at all times. And his response was so amazing, he said, so God could just walk through that wall right there. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, buddy, he, he absolutely could. When you start to look at God through the law, through the Old Testament, when you start to read the Bible, you start to see God as who he is that he is majestic, that he is glorious, that he is powerful, that he is present everywhere at all times, and he invites us into a path to walk in his ways. That should give you a childlike awe of who God is, what he can do in and through and around you. You know that hiking trip that, that's coming up that my wife and I are going on, you know what was the turning point for me in this trip, some friends of ours in our church invited us over, and they're experienced hikers, and said, you come over, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to explain the terminology to you. So they did that, and they told me what my pack meant and how much it should weigh, and they even let me try it on and, and put all the different stuff in it and see how it really works. But they didn't just explain the terminology. They didn't just talk about, well, here, a bladder is this, Tim. It's something you stick in your pack. It has a little sippy straw. It comes around and it hydrates you while you walk. They didn't just explain the terminology. They showed me how it worked. And so we put all the stuff in the pack, just as I'm going to do when I go hiking. We talked about and just imagined the place that we're going and the rocks and the way we're going to hike down and how not to roll your ankle and how to get by the water. And you're going to want some chairs to sit by the water and how you go number two. And we just pictured all of that together. So they, they explained the terminology, they illustrated what it would look like, but not just that. They gave me all their stuff. They said, hey, you don't need to go out and buy more stuff, just use ours. We know it works. We've been there, we've done that, we've used it. You just take our stuff, you put our stuff on, and then you go along in your journey. And something flipped for me after that this week. I'm now excited, I now feel equipped, I now feel empowered to go on this journey that earlier I felt intimidated by. You see, that's the goal of this th series. That's the goal of this series, is that we would look at the Old Testament, who God is. We would see the path. We would see the one who created the path and continues it through the person and work of Jesus. And we would see the help that we get, the equipping we get in the Holy Spirit, that, that we get to learn ter terminology, that we get to see what this might look like. And then Jesus says, hey, I've been there, I've done that. Well, why don't you just do it like me? In fact, I'm gonna do it in and through you. That's the goal of this series, that as we look at the Old Testament, that we would begin to walk in this path by the power of Jesus through the, through the Holy Spirit for his glory, for our joy, and that we would actually read our Old Testament and live according to what it says. Would you do that this week? Would you read your Bible? 
Would you start somewhere and begin to understand who God is and to live that out? Listen, grab somebody and do it together. You can do that in a community group. We have those meeting throughout the week. You can do that one-on-one over coffee or beer. Yeah, you can do it over beer. You can do it over something else. You can do it over food. Get together, study the Bible. Don't make excuses. Don't be intimidated. Don't let something stop you from learning about who God is and what path he wants you to walk in. It's a beautiful one. Let's do that together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this path that you have laid out so clearly in your word. I pray that we would follow it. I pray that we wouldn't let intimidation or or maybe bad experiences or even uh, something we've read before that we didn't understand get in the way of us learning about God and following his path. God, uh, God, your path, you have laid it out clearly for us. We have the full counsel of it through the Old and the New Testaments. Help us to follow it. Help us to be amazed and in awe of it and you and begin to take those steps to walk in it. We pray all of that uh, for these men and women, for our church, that, that our lives would be changed through this over these next few weeks. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.